You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I saw a documentary this week, 20 Feet from Stardom. Yeah, some of you all have seen it. So essentially, it's a documentary about what it's like to live in the shadows, so to speak, literally and, so, and figuratively, of, of, of music stardom, incredibly talented and fantastically gifted musicians who chose to be backup singers instead of having their own individual career. And in some ways, Parshat Mishpatim is like the, the backup singer to last week's Torah portion. Yitro, last week was the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. And at the end of the Parsha of revelation, of, of confusion between vision and hearing, and the Torah has a very beautiful way to end a Parsha that deals with the extraordinary. Mizbach Torah says, if you want to make an altar, make it from the earth. And say, all of the Hasidic Rebbe's, the Hasidic masters, the wisdom masters say, if you're going to, to serve God, you might think, oh, you have to serve God on some crazy mountain. You have to go to some retreat somewhere. Maybe you even have to go to a church on the corner of 105th in Amsterdam. Mizbach Adamat Taseli means make it from the earth. Bring what you got. Make it simple. Make it true. Let it be real, not a show. Serve me, God says, with a simple earthen altar. I know about the Ten Commandments, I know about Charlton Heston. But I want those simple moments, says the Torah. And mishpatim, in certain ways, if not simple, is banal or mundane. If Mount Sinai is epiphany, this week's Torah portion is 6 o'clock in the morning Judaism. If Mount Sinai is experience that is radically transformative, the kind of individual, subjective interiority. This week's reading is the rubber meeting the road. It is love lived. It is, as Ramdas or Richard Alpert wrote in his book, Be Here Now, when he went to his guru, Nimkaroli Baba, and asked him what his work in the world would be, he said, Feed the poor. Feed the hungry. Clothe the poor. And Ramda said, well, wait a second. I came all the way here to get all of these very intense, transformative enlightenment practices. After all, that's what I, do for, I did for a living. I got kicked out of Harvard 
Like, that's what I do. I, I, I study the mind. Nim Korolibaba Guru Marji says, what, give me a practice, you know, some big, big practice. He said, no, no, F- feed the hungry. And it took Ram Das, he said, 40 years to really get what his teacher was telling him. In our own tradition, it goes something like this. Two Rebbes, a, a father and a son. And the father comes home one night and sees his son deep in meditation, studying, and there's a glow about him. And as he walks into the house, he can hear a baby crying from the room next door to where his son is meditating. And the Rebbe, the older Rebbe, says to the younger Rebbe in training, the RIT, says to him, <laughs> says, if you are studying so deeply and meditating so intensely that you can't hear your own child crying, then you're not meditating. That's not what we call service of God. So this lived love, this love that is walking the talk, begins with a very odd precept, a very odd halakha, we who were slaves in Egypt, we who just were standing at Mount Sinai, we are about to be given the details, the important little things that are going on, right? And it begins with slavery. When there will be amongst you, as the rabbis learned, people who become so poor, so destitute, that they have no recourse but to sell themselves into indentured servitude. They are in such deep debt that the only way they can get out of it is to work for someone. The Torah gives us a way of making that transition very, very difficult choice possible. And then the Torah tells us that at the end of six years, you should go free. Set the person free, they have the seventh year, six years is enough. But the Torah says, what if at the end of your six years you say, I love my master, my wife and my children. I don't want to go. I want to remain enslaved. I want to stay in the relationship of master and servant. So Torah says, okay, you take him to the doorpost and you puncture his ear with an awl, right? You puncture his ear, you pierce his ear, and he's the olam, and he becomes your servant forever. Or at least until the Jubilee year when all slaves are redeemed. So I'll share with you a couple of very well-known midrashim and then offer a little bit of a different spin. The first midrash says, why is it the ear? Why is it the ear that is now pierced? Of all of the limbs in the body, the midrash says, what is it about the ear? So, the ear that heard on Mount Sinai, I am your God. I am your master. Avadaihem. The ear that could hear that we have one great master, one great source, one great anchor, as it were. 
If that ear that could hear that could then turn around and say, I would like to be your indentured servant, that ear needs to be pierced. Not so positive, right? Second beautiful midrash is, and I want you to hear this in a different way, because we're going to come back to the first one, but the second one is really, second midrash says that, that no less an individual than Moses actually quoted this halakha to God. When? When Moses was begging God to let him into the land of Israel, Moses said, I love you, my master. I don't want to go out for free, meaning I don't want to die before I enter the land. Please make me into your eved le'olam. Make me into your eternal servant. That's a positive spin on it. huh? Now to the first one again. I have a question for you. First of all, I understand now why it's the ear that was punctured. Great. But why was it punctured on the mezuzah and on the doorpost? Number one. Number two. Why does it take place at the end of the sixth year? You've been indentured now for six years. Shouldn't it, be, it, it makes more sense that as soon as I sell myself into slavery or I give myself over to a master, that I should, at that moment, that should be the moment where I've given up my autonomy, I've given up my, my freedom. So I want to say that I think it's really beautiful that this is the first of all of those things that we had to do, that we had to live into, because it expresses a very fundamental, deep truth about our tradition, about spiritual practice in general, and that is this. And this is in the name of the Rebbeinov Rebbe, or Rebbeinov of Rebbeinov. It could never have been that we were, that the slave would get his ear pierced in the first year, because what could he do? The Torah says he's fallen into a very destitute place. There's despair. The Torah is giving this person a way out. You've fallen down, the Torah says. Here, have six years to put yourself back together. But oy vavoy, says the Rimenover, if after six years of slavery, you can say, adoni, that I love my master, it means that the entire Exodus project has now come to a halt. The word lo say, that phrase, lo say, if you have ears to hear, Yitziat Mitzrayim, the leaving of Egypt, if you can say lo say, I will not exit, I will not go out, in a way is that I won't pull myself up from the ground. I've become so accustomed to a a luxurious servant. I've lived a life of where the things that originally were intended to help me stand on my own two feet have now become crutches that I use to say, lo say, I will not go out. Lo say, I will not lift myself up. After my fall, I'm going to stay on the ground and sleep on the bed that's already been prepared for me right there. I'm comfortable. Lo say. I'd rather be a comfortable servant than an uncomfortable free person. And isn't that the case with all of us to some degree? Come on. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. (laughs) All of our spiritual practices are 
to shorten the gap between our falling and our standing up. All of our spiritual practices are intended that every yirida will be an aliyah, every falling down will also be a going up. But we have to make an effort to get up again. Successful spiritual practitioners, successful human beings are those who fall, and it takes six years. Kisheva yipot tzaddik. Maybe seven times, eight times, a thousand times, but you know something? You get up again. The entire ethical and moral life is itself a spectrum of falling down and saying, Afalpi, even so, I'm getting up again. I'm not going to be here before the Super Bowl, so I thought I'd get in my football stat right now. <laughs> There's a sports analyst uh, known as uh, Trent Dilfer. And he has a very interesting way of rating quarterbacks. I'm, I'm outing myself now as a bit of a sports guy. I love sports. And he has an acronym. It's called PACE. P-A-C-E. Look it up. PACE. You know what it stands for? Plays after critical errors. The better a quarterback is at making a great play after they made a stupendously idiotic error, that is the barometer of their success, Dilfer argues. Now, I don't know where he got this from, but I have a feeling he's been studying Kabbalah. <laughs> six years you had to put yourself together. And at the end of your six years, lo say, I'm not going out. Now, I get it. You have a wife and you have kids. I get it. So we bring his ear to the doorpost. The same doorpost where generations earlier and in every single generation, you and I and every one of us here walks through. And there's a little mezuzah there. There's a little scroll. And in that scroll it says, listen, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, listen. Listen so that you can leave Egypt. And we take his ear to the doorpost and we say, remember you were free once. Don't ever forget if you were once free, you can be free again. If you ever stood once, you will stand again. Don't give up. That isn't a punishment I want to read with you tonight, that the ear against the doorpost is not a punishment, but it is, it's chizuk, it's strengthening him. It's saying, you will carry a mezuzah on your ear. It will be on your ear, on that pierced ear, that you will remember that you once walked through this fear of a complacent servitude into an unknown desert, and you can do it again. That's the faith of Mishpatim. The faith of Mishpatim is that God has faith in us that we can walk Sinai in our daily lives. That meeting a woman as I did on the corner of 105th during that snowstorm on Tuesday. And I was going to walk right by her. I'm a rabbi of a big shul in New York City. And she had a cane. And I was going to walk by her, you know, because I had somewhere to go. And she stopped me. Thank you. She said, help me across the street. She punctured my ear, you know.
We can be servants of time. We can be servants of our schedules. We can be ahavtis adoni. I love my master. Servants of our career, servants of our success, servants of our X, Y, and Z. And then along comes the ethical moment, Mount Sinai in flesh and blood, standing before us and says, help me across the street. Each and every one of us carries the potential, the remnant, the residue, the memory of having crossed through to the other side. And when we become complacent and say, lo eight say, lo eight say, lo eight say, I will not go out, I will not go out, along comes our responsibilities and our obligations to our fellow brothers and sisters and say, come on out, you can be free again. So I want to bless you. Man, I'm telling you, we could do so much with this Parsha every week. It could be Mishpatim every single week in every shul. Friday night is Mount Sinai, everybody, and Mishpatim is Saturday morning. Okay. I bless you. And I know you're blessing me back. But in all of those places in our lives where we say, Lo eight say, I can't go out. I'm too comfortable that God, the universe, reality, circumstances, the source of being, our own destiny manifest in day-to-day living calls us forth out of that complacency. It calls us forth out of that impossibility into, into what it really means to stand again at Sinai. May we all be blessed with that. Amen.